0: Welcome to Purpose 360, and I am so excited today because I have Jin Montesano with us from Lixel, and this is our first global um, podcast and interview, and she is, from the moment I met her, and if you could meet her, and if you're going to Japan, you should, because she is one of the rock stars of social purpose, but as well, business. Um, She carries a title, um, chief public affairs officer, executive officer, and senior managing director from Lixil, And she has held, um, senior positions at GSK, Mondelez, um, GE, um, finance and such. Um, most of it, I think almost all of it. She'll, she'll let us know, um, in, um, Asia. And she just, Knows so many things. So, I'm excited about our conversation today. So, welcome, Jen, and um, to our show. And, you know, let's start by who's Lixel? Thank you, Carol.
1: Thank you for that introduction. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to meet your expectations. <laughs> but, um, yes, thank you for letting me introduce Lixel. Uh, Lixel is a company that very few people have heard of. We are Tokyo based, we're listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. We're about a $17 billion company in terms of size. A billion people every day get up and get ready for work and school using our products, but people don't know who we are. And that's because Lixil is home to a number of global power brands that you may have heard of in the housing and water technology sector, brands such as American Standard or Gerway, the very sleek German design and engineering brand as well as InAx in Japan, which is the number two brand for bathroom, toilets. We also make kitchen systems, windows, doors, floors, uh, carports, exteriors, you name it. We're the largest player in housing products in Japan, and we're the largest global player in what we term water technology. Moving water in and out of your home, we will probably make that product and make more of it and sell more of it than anybody else in the world.
0: And, and you know what? Fa- thank you. And and yes, I mean, you have up- storied brands around the globe. What is fascinating is that Lixil, the five core companies that came together are, on average, you said over 100 years old each. And Lixil as a company is only what is it founded in 2011. That's right. So you've got the old and the very old and you know the long-term view, and then you've got the new. So that must create some very interesting opportunities for you. You're absolutely
1: right, Carol. I mean, we're basically like a seven-year-old startup of a hundred-year-old brands.
0: I don't know if there's any other company in the world like that. So <laughs> I'm sure that you'll have wonderful insights to share. So let's just start a little bit higher and say, what sparked your interest in Social Purpose? Well, Social Purpose was almost a
1: business necessity in some respects. I joined the company in 2014. At the time, Yoshiaki Fujimori was the CEO of Lixo. He was actually recruited to help establish Lixil as a global company. After the five um, domestic companies came together to create Lixil, they wanted to quickly globalize by doing more M&A. And Fuji was brought in to help achieve that. so by the time I came in in 2014, we had already acquired American Standard uh, Groe permus DeLisa, which is the curtain wall manufacturer in Italy. And they basically turned to me and said, "So we've done all these acquisitions, but we don't really know how to tell our story. Um, we need to now start to explain to employees and external stakeholders." what is Lixil really about and start to pull together our narrative, our brand um, and, and our purpose. And at the time they didn't use the words that I'm using to you to describe what I'm saying, but there was this sense that we needed to unite our 70,000 employees under one roof and give them some true North direction that was going to be more than just a financial target. Now that we were this big giant of a company, And so I began the hard yards to start thinking about our raison d'etre. You know, why do we need to exist as a company? Why should American Standard as a, a heralded brand belong to this Japanese company versus some other company out there? We really wanted to dig deep and try to understand what our purpose is as a social actor in this ecosystem that is global society. How can we define that?
0: In Japan, is social purpose as prominent um, as it is now in the U.S.? And then um, certainly sustainability is very prominent and social purpose is rising in Europe. What's the status in Japan?
1: Well, it's a really, you know, it's a really interesting question, Carol, because they wouldn't, Japanese companies don't use the term social purpose per se. But historically, Japanese companies have always been very active supporters of CSR. And um, almost every Japanese company, without fail, will have a mission or a vision statement that closely aligns what it is doing uh, with some form of contribution to society. So Japanese companies really consider themselves a very integral part of society, and the work that they do should inform their role in society. Um, And that's because, in some respects, Japanese companies aren't They're very different from Western companies in that it's not about winning it and killing it and gaining market share per se. It's more about being able to survive and thrive to the next generation and the next after that. So they've already got a very long-term view. So you started thinking about
0: how can I find a unifying idea, a force? So you must have created, I know that you said you've got Right now, a hundred people in your various areas. And I just like to tell our listeners that underneath your job description, you handle corporate communications, brand management, corporate responsibility, culture, museums. That's an interesting combination, investor relations, and then, um, culture change, um, and new group initiatives. So you wear a lot of hats. I later, I want to find out if you ever do sleep, <laughs> but since you had so many of these roles, how did you bring um people from various and you know areas together to help you really solve this enticing but a tough challenge?
1: It is a, a huge challenge on the one hand, but if you think about you know our colleagues in the space looking at brand purpose, looking at social purpose, you know, they're gonna have to make a case for it. And I was in a situation where the CEO and the executive team was looking to me for some holistic direction saying, how do we actually tell one story and a, a single compelling narrative now? How should we go about talking about this company? Not only to our employees, but our business partners, our customers, to governments who've never heard of Lixo when we walk through that door and have to explain who we are. So for me, um, you know, we call this building a corporate narrative or a, a master narrative. And a lot of companies, communication agencies will do this kind of work. And of course, I've done a lot of narrative um, development in my previous jobs. But in this particular case, I decided it isn't just about the retelling in a beautiful way, what it is that we do. We need to first figure out why are we here? And when we were able to define that more clearly, then working out the beautiful language about who we are and what we stand for became much easier and more natural. And so that's what we ended up doing.
0: The Sato toilet, which you're going to talk about, was that the first time it's so disruptive (laughs) and again you know in our pre-taping you said well you know it's hard to talk about toilets but not for us (laughs) so you know how many ideas did you have talk a little bit about the process so you can share some insights with our listeners sure so when we started to
1: go about doing this you know concretely how are we going to actually build clearer purpose not for um, a brand per se, but for the company as a brand, right? The corporate brand as Lixo. What is our purpose? We decided to take a top-down and bottom-up approach. The top-down approach is what we traditionally do. We work with you know, experts like you, Carol, and say, um, what's out there? Who Who's playing and doing what in the competitive landscape um, to tackle social issues well? And what are some of the things that we could potentially get involved in that might make sense? And doing our homework, reading our research, trying to understand where the trends are. And then we did a bottom-up approach where we um, talked to lots of working-level folk, people who were frankly surprised that we'd reached out to them and asked them about what their opinions were. And then we gathered up a lot of mid-level managers from all walks of Lixil and asked them to spend a day with us uh, through a facilitated workshop to really get to what is it that makes you passionate about working here. What is it that we do better than anyone else? What is the sweet spot and the core strength of our excellence, and can that be mapped against social issues that are being faced out there in the world? and sanitation and hygiene re- kind of came up um, like a you know like a giant rocket out of the, you know out of the ground, and of course, environmental sustainability, um, eco and water saving was a very major part of the story that came out of that discussion, as well as diversity and inclusion, because in Japan, we've got gender issues uh, where we don't have enough women and we're working on that, as well as um, LGBTQ and being a more inclusive culture. And all of these things were really important. But the special magic of that bottom-up workshop was this torrent of uh, passion around the 2.3 billion people in the world today who have no access to basic sanitation. And that As one of the best companies making toilets in the world, we should be doing something about that.
0: So how many people did you think you touched in your interviews, in the workshop, in any questionnaires? And what was the total number per se?
1: It wasn't that big. I would say 100, 150. Um, At that point, I was only three months into the job. I started November first two thousand and fourteen and um by April first of the new of t- twenty uh fifteen we were already standing up um a mechanism so the first thing we did was do this process and really kind of understand we got people from supply chain from the factories from marketing you know whatever we didn't just spend time with corporate folk you know we really went out and like talked to people on the sites and we didn't just talk to the managers in the sites we talked to Experts, coordinators, specialists, we really try to get um, a wide grasp, and you know I inherited a small team of folks who really understood the the company on the ground, and so we were able to identify you know the best and the brightest who would speak up and share their views um, pretty easily and so we held that process. I spent a lot of time with the executives, trying to understand their motivations and desires and interests and areas where they think um, they thought that we needed to be uh, much more active in, and so that's really the process we took to build what we call our three three um, pillar sustainability strategy. And sanitation and hygiene is just one of the three pillars, but it so differentiates Lixol um, that it's become the thing that everybody likes to talk about. Now, once this is this is the process that I call um, articulating, because I, I I call building social purpose for a corporation using the three A's, articulate, assimilate, activate. And the first part articulate is really about sharpening and identifying that purpose. You know, what is it really about? How does it become uniquely advantageous to you? And it really needs to be playing to your sweet spot, the thing that you do excellently, and whether that can be matched to the thing that's out in the world that remains a social challenge, which can be addressed with your excellent core strength, your sweet spot. Once you've articulated that, it's about assimilating that, which is how do I embed it? How do I make sure that the corporation doesn't treat this like some CSR exercise or something that the corporate comms group is doing as a fun thing to get PR, right? That's the last thing you want because purpose, right? Because it should be really part of who you are and why you exist, right? So one of the things that I did right away is establish a governance mechanism that became part of the corporate governance of the Lixel Group. And because I sit on the board of the corporation, and because I am an executive officer, a member of the executive team, you know, I have a certain level of authority to build in new governance. And I created something called the CRC. Which operates at the group level and it, it stands for corporate responsibility committee. And I, I chair the committee, but sitting with me on this committee are, um, you know, 12 CXOs. I've got the CFO, chief counsel, the chief technology officer, the chief HR officer, and a number of others that I have handpicked to join me in co-creating and validating the direction as well as our targets and that mechanism is official which means i have to report out the progress of that committee in our annual report and in our 10k filings and so forth so when you embed it and you assimilate it as part of the corporation's operations it becomes much more official and something it needs to um
0: that something that has to happen i mean you truly are embedding it in the company and you are bringing the cxos along um, did they understand the power of this or did you have to do some education with them? Well, in Japan, we have
1: something called Nemawashi. And Nemawashi means pre, pre-discussions, pre-alignment. So you you never sort of spring something on a boardroom um, agenda. You kind of have to make sure everybody who's going to be in the meeting understands what it is that you want before the meeting itself. and And that's part of Japanese corporate culture. So I spent a lot of time with the individual CXOs, trying to explain to them what it is that we want to do and getting their input and making sure that their views and concerns were reflected. I also made sure to tell them that nothing has been um, sewn up, as it were, that this would be a true co-creation process.
0: You've got structure, you've you've educated them, you're understanding their needs, you're bringing them along. So how did you get from sanitation and what's it 2.3 billion, billion people. people around the globe do not have access. So how did you get from great, you know, really it's a, it's a, it's a number that is astounding. how did you get from there to creating a toilet and then going to creating a social enterprise? Right. Well, so,
1: um, it just so happened that, the American standard uh, U.S. business that we acquired um, had two guys in it, two engineers, um, one American and one Japanese, believe it or not. And the two engineers, you know, applied for a very, very small grant from the Gates Foundation to essentially invent a plastic toilet, one pan, one SKU, and they did it on their, you know, lunch break kind of thing. And they developed it, and the U.S. team had uh, a relatively successful, uh, you know, cause-related marketing thing where at Home Depot, they said, you know, buy a cadet and give a, a, a Sato toilet to someone who needs one. And, and they basically, you know, used that uh, Sato pan that was created with this small grant and basically did this campaign. And that was that. And it just, you know, nothing much more came of it. But when I started to have this discussion about sanitation and hygiene, Inevitably, this conversation came back to me. Someone said, you know, in American Standard, we got these two guys and they've invented this thing and it's just amazing, and we should really do something with that. And that's how I found these two guys in New Jersey and started a conversation. And then of course I put my, you know, muscle into it and said, I need these two guys to come out of full-time work in supply chain. We need to build this thing out into a proper organization. Because 2.3 billion people could be served with this particular product. One of them, Daigo Ishiyama, um, is also a product development engineer. And he said, well, I've got like half a dozen other SKU ideas in, in the back of my shop. And I just ordered some parts from Amazon and sitting in my, you know, attic. And, you know, I want to put together this and that and the other thing. So if this could become a full-time gig, that would be cool. Like, I've got a lot of ideas. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that that's great you know i love your curiosity you know you've got an insight and then you're being curious and you're looking at all of your assets that that was brilliant so um talk about the development of the toilet and also there were some very distinct parameters you know you had to what break even in 5 years and so how did you set that up
1: well it's really interesting because while we were now pulling together the sato concept and trying to understand it And then of course, you know, in corporate R&D here in Tokyo, people said, hey, there's some other guys tinkering in the back room with other, you know, base of the pyramid toilets, toilets for people who don't have one. And so I just kind of went around and said, why don't you release these people and transfer them to me and I'll form a business unit and a team that can look after all of the folks who are working on development, you know, of base of the pyramid toilets. And so that was one of the first things we did was kind of bring all the like-minded folks who were tinkering in the back during lunch hour <laughs> and give them proper right. jobs. But then the second thing was really trying to understand, you know, uh, what is the situation out there? How do we um, go about tackling this huge issue? And so it really came down to doing a lot of research and speaking to people in what's called the wash sector. So in the sanitation and hygiene area. Um, it they use a terminology called WASH water and sanitation and hygiene and so at unicef for instance there's a whole team of experts called wash experts and they actually spend their entire careers understanding what the challenges are the barriers are and how to overcome them and so um you know we did a lot of homework to try and understand um uh, what we were facing out there and how our products uh could be developed to meet some of those challenges because one of the things we discovered very early on was that um A lot of people were doing um, consumer behavior change and helping people understand the need to use a toilet versus going out in the field or in the river or the lake. But not a lot of people were inventing affordable, durable, high-quality products that could bring those people into a proper bathroom. And that's really where we thought we could play a critical role.
0: And and what's amazing about your product is it's a $5 product.
1: Well, we've got a $2 product. The first okay, product a was a $2 product. product. Okay. All right. Uh, we also have a $5 product. And then we have the Whizbang latest generation V-trap at 10 bucks. Ah, a pop. okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: it, and this, this product is actually goes into the ground. It's actually not even the toilet, but it creates a completely off-grid twin pit pour flush latrine system. So for those countries like India, where touching waste is regarded as a big social taboo, so therefore they don't want to dig up their waste, you can create two pits and have them connect to the toilet. And that would actually allow your toilet to have much longer life before you have to get somebody to come in and remove the compost, essentially. And we've created a very, very simple V-trap technology that for $10, you can have a twin pit latrine versus a single pit. And so... That's been, you know, a hugely important um, innovation for the BOP market in that sense.
0: One, I would love to hear a great story, a story that's really touched your heart in terms of, of you know, the recipient, you know, the 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 man or the woman or the child using this invention. And then I would love a story about somebody internally that truly touched you deeply.
1: Well, you know, mostly what I hear from our guys on the ground who are really at the coal phase going into the villages is that, you know, it's it's basically dirt all around and they'll build this toilet and it's got a concrete slab and then you've got the toilet and you've got the shed and in the toilet, it's pristine. And this notion that you've got to keep this area really clean when everything outside is Basically, there's, it's all dirt and, you know, um, very rudimentary, uh, village area. But the minute they've got the Sato in, it's like, this is a modern technology and we have to keep this clean because this is what's allowed us to not have to go out in the field. That's been, um, a, a huge, you know, it just suggests that when you get something very new and very valuable, you take care of it and that changes. The consumer behavior, and we found that that to be very interesting. Um, I think I think the other thing we hear often is little girls um, who are thanking us because they're genuinely scared to go to the bathroom in the dark way out there because they know the stories of what's happened to their sisters or their moms. Um, you know, the highest rate of sexual assault, kidnapping, and rape happens when women have to go uh, and take care of their business when it's gotten darker so they get more privacy and the further out from the village um, and and bad things happen to them. And a lot of the girls get really scared. In fact, just last week, um, we received a letter from a girl who said, my father won't install a toilet, so will you install this toilet for us? And we thought, oh my God, how does she even get our address? Um, it's It's sort of amazing how... You know, As children um, start to understand what a toilet can mean, uh, the fact that they have to convince their parents that they need one is an extraordinary situation. I know that you can't get your head around that. Um, a lot of people in advanced markets or developed countries can't understand this situation until you get to these villages where it's just a normal thing to take care of your business in the lake or the river or out in the field and use grass to wipe yourself you know, it's just normal. So imagine
0: that. I know that you have set a goal of reaching 100 million people by 2020. Yes. Why is that setting that goal important? How did you set the goal? And also, how do you set any other KPIs, perhaps for your colleagues? Because again, you have to break even. Yes. And so this is not a nice to do the philanthropic thing from the foundation. This is a business venture.
1: Number one, we have to break even by 2021. And we got, um, we we were given a challenge by the new CEO who joined in 2016. Kenya Seto was probably the single most instrumental person to getting us to where we are today. Because as the group CEO, he personally challenged our purpose-driven strategy and said, in order to make a true difference, you guys need to act like a business. And you need to put your head on and figure out what your P&L is. And I will back you. um, But then you need to show me that this business can be sustainable for years on end. And that means you've got to be able to reinvest back in your business. I don't need you to make a profit, but you need to break even. And he set the goal to 2021. And the Gates Foundation actually was um, really encouraged by us, um, Re- reinventing Sato into a social enterprise. And they matched um, Kenya Seto's money. So Gates actually gave us a, f- a five year grant as well for the same period that uh, Kenya asked us to deliver our PNL. It's hard. I mean, it's really forced us to think very differently about where we're going to put resources, where we're going to do marketing, how we should work with others. And, you know, it's like any other startup or any other business, you're always scrounging to figure out how you're going to get out there and really reach that tipping point. You know, we don't know if we're going to succeed. And I think that's really important to put out there. And a lot of my guys, you know, at the dead of night, I'll say, Oh, God, what are we going to do if we don't make it? And I said, Well, if we don't make it, whatever that number is that we made is the number we achieve. Because if we hadn't set the 100 million goal, then we wouldn't have, Helped to improve the lives of the X million that we did um, reach. So, to me, setting a very ambitious, hairy goal focuses people. But you shouldn't be embarrassed if you can't achieve that goal. We have to stop thinking in terms of PR and in thinking in
0: terms of social impact. Oh, that's so great! Oh, that's so. I'm so thrilled that you said that. Um, again, it takes the ingenuity and it's the unifying force of so many at Lixel that truly says. We have got to deliver. Here's our goal. It ha- we have to break even. So, so, um, talk about a little bit about how you've evolved the initiative. I know you've been involved in World Toilet Day and probably none of our <laughs> listeners celebrate that, you know, unless they're in wash. Um, so talk, we just had it, was it, I think in November. Right. So what did you do? I'm interested about. How you evolve the initiative, World Toilet Day, and then how are you breaking through with communications?
1: Right. Well, you know, for us, our sustainability strategy is built on on three um, key areas of focus. Right. One is is communications and advocacy, and really spending time getting out there and helping, uh, you know, our stakeholders, our ecosystem, and and really driving a higher level dialogue around this issue around sanitation. The second is around actual innovation, which is the product we need to make to solve these problems that people are facing and they don't have a solution for. And the third is around strategically and cleverly partnering with the right organizations to drive scale in the advocacy or in the technological innovation. So really, you know, this is the kind of three-pronged approach that we use. World Toilet Day. Is a really important vehicle for the first, well, for all three um, strategies actually. And it was invented by a guy named Jack Sim. Who is actually the founder of the World Toilet Organization? He is one of the most inspiring and energetic guys. I have met him.
0: Yes, at at Net Impact. And he is outrageous. He's outrageous. He's so inspiring. Oh, my God. He's
1: amazing. And he invented World Toilet Day. So um, the World Toilet Organization created World Toilet Day to try to get people focused on it. And we just, you know, we put everything against it. This year, um, we did two major things. Well, we did a lot of different things. Um, the first thing we did was actually sponsor. We were the host of the World Toilet Summit, which was held in Mumbai, India, and so, <laughs> so I was there. I gave a keynote address. Uh, Sato had a booth and an exhibit, and we also ran a workshop around public-private partnerships. At the summit, I mean, hundreds of people were there from all uh, aspects of, um, you know, the NGO world, the academic world, the private sector, and we all basically gathered for three days to talk about how are we going to move to an ODF free world, how are we going to get everyone on that first rung of basic sanitation and improve, you know, people's lives. So the conversation was um, very good, and I thought that. Um, we had some really, really good discussions and sidebar discussions were also very helpful too. And one of the discussions we had was with another company who will not be named yet because we might actually enter into a more formal collaboration with them if discussions go well. And so, you know, lots of good came out of that. The other thing um, that we did on World Toilet Day was we partnered with a very popular Japanese cartoon character. His name is Professor Poop. Unkodori. And Professor Poop is a famous uh, set of workbooks that teach Japanese children kanji, which is um, uh, the the Chinese characters. And in order to memorize your kanji characters, Professor Poop uses sentences that are all poop-related, which are funny and cute, and it helps you memorize your characters, okay? So we we rang up Professor Poop and said, Look, why don't you do a special edition of, of Unkodori and make it about teaching kids about sanitation and what's lacking? And he was all over that. So, you know, and he came out, um, you know, we, we had a big event um, in, in uh, Tokyo. He came out, he showcased his lessons. It was a lot of media and um, lots of television coverage. We also created something called the see through toilet. Um, we didn't invent this, but we created our own to showcase what it feels like to practice open defecation.
0: Oh my God. That is so smart. Yeah. It's
1: like you open a little, it's like a little, you know, Superman telephone booth, right? You step in and there's a toilet in there. It doesn't work. It's a toilet. You You put the lid up and you sit down and you close the door and basically you can see everybody out, but it's a two-way mirror. People can't see you. So, from the outside, it just looks like a mirror. But you're sitting inside right. staring at yeah. everybody. Yeah. And, and now you get a sense of what it's like to have to practice open defecation. And, and kids love it. And lots of tourists who are visiting Tokyo come and they're like, oh, man, dude, what is this? This is cool. <laughs> so, so it, it really helps people understand um, and gain some awareness of what the issues are. And we, of course, have my team out there, they're handing out information you know, booklets and brochures about sanitation that we've created, a lot of content, and then giving, um, you know, talks and, and addressing the media. So it's like a two-day affair. How much of
0: the communications of Sato is going around the globe? You're in over what? You have reached about 150 countries. And so how do you, are you bringing it to the U.S.? Are you bringing it to, to Latin America? So
1: 150 countries is where Lixil is present, Lixil in some form but it's not necessarily where Sato is present. Sato is present in 15 countries. The cool thing about Sato is um, it's present in countries where Lixil is not present in like Ghana or Tanzania, you know, or Ethiopia. Right. So there are lots of countries in Africa where Lixil um not available, but Sato is available. Now the way that Sato's business works, we work with NGOs, and um, organizations that have either received grant or working with the government to, um, to promote toilets or to install toilets. And so our purchasers or the people who buy uh, Sato toilets are not necessarily the end user. They're usually distributors, retailers, wholesalers, or NGOs. We work very closely with people like WaterAid, PSI, and um, UNICEF who are on the ground, like BRAC, who are on the ground distributing and or installing or promoting toilets. And often they will be the ones who procure satos um, from us. We also have a website that's coming up soon where we will also do online e-commerce because there are countries that we can't get into, like the DRC or even Pakistan, where we might be able to ship these from some other location through online purchase.
0: So so you're, obviously your ambition is big. You set huge goals. How many full-time people are working on this? About 40. Okay. Well, that's good.
1: Yeah. So I've got the biggest team sitting in India because mm-hmm. India is kind of a big place and it's half the problem <laughs> in terms okay. of the sanitation yes. challenge. Um, and then I, I think I've got about uh, 10 folks in parts various parts of Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Ghana. Um, and then in Japan itself, we've got about fifteen people, including the head of Sato and SSI called Jack Goto. So you know, SSI or Social Sanitation Initiatives is a department under which Sato, I mean Sato, is under, and that's because we've also got a team working on other models that are not are in what we would call pre-commercialization. Sato is the only commercialized line of products, but we're making other products in the BOP that would serve, for instance, um, urban slums. Right, urban slum conditions without toilets are very different from rural conditions without toilets, and the Sato was essentially designed for the the rural folks, the folks who are living way out, you know, in the last mile.
0: This is extraordinary, and I know our listeners are just going to go crazy with this story. How do your colleagues? within Lixel, feel about this, when they really know the depth and the commitment? How do they feel?
1: First of all, every year when we do the climate survey, uh, bar none, the highest like rated, the, the, the thing that most engages employees is our activities in corporate responsibility. Uh, there probably isn't a single employee today who doesn't know we do this because the corporate comms team belongs to me. I run that team. So <laughs> ah, we spend yeah, a lot well, of time. Nice gift. <laughs> right? right. We spend a lot of time narrating about this. Uh, when we create a corporate deck for someone, we'll always make sure there are pages in there about our purpose and about Sato and sanitation. Uh, we make sure that the word gets out and the amplification effect is happening. And it's a it's a virtuous loop because employees give us feedback all the time. I'm so proud of this company. People who were, when I first joined Lixil in 2014, I had guys contacting me from overseas market going, oh my God, there's somebody who speaks English. Thank God. Because we hadn't yet started officially integrating these businesses and they felt really lost. They felt disconnected. They said, I know our parent company is Japanese, but I really don't know anything about this company that's acquired us. And what is this really all about? So When I started to build out the broader narrative and started to build internal communication channels and digital platforms so people could get access to what was going on in the corporation just more broadly and what our actual strategy is and how their work fits into the broader strategy and so forth, people started to respond to the sustainability platform and the work that we were doing in sanitation. And that's how I know because they're always contacting me through these platforms saying, I have so much pride now. Um, being a Lixil employee. You know, I used to be only proud of working on American Standard or Grohe, but I'm actually now really proud to be part of Lixil. Uh,
0: an amazing unifying force. And so we could go on for hours. I don't think we can do that, but I, I'd love to begin to close this down with what are your top three or five insights you've given some good ones, but if you can encapsulate them a bit more where, you know, you're, Your colleagues who are listening to this are going, oh, my God, this is extraordinary. Jen, please, where do I start? I want to do this in my company. So where do I start? Three or five insights would be great. Okay. Um, I guess the first place I would start is
1: you cannot be successful if the social purpose that you identify is not truly integrated into your core business strategy. So whatever you end up doing, your litmus test must be, is this, is this going to be able to be truly integrated into the core thing that is what we do and what we do well to be competitive and profitable? They, they need to match. So you can't be an oil and gas company and go plant trees. You know, you, you can't be a shoemaker and go paint orphanages. It, you know, it, it, these are all good things that you should do. We need people to do. But if you want to really build social purpose that activates the core of your organization and really brings tremendous benefits to your company, you you need to have that really come from a place where it's reflecting the core of what you do excellently. So that's that's the first insight. Yeah. The second thing is the robust process of articulating that purpose. As I had talked about earlier, you know, using both a bottom-up and a top-down approach to really articulate the purpose. Well, you know, Abraham Lincoln said, if you've got 10 minutes to one hour to chop down a tree, you should spend 50 minutes sharpening your axe. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) that, yeah, the sharpening your axe in this case is really this robust process that you need to do to whittle down and and really sharpen and, and articulate what it is that you want to achieve as your social purpose. And, and, and when you do that right, everything else will be much easier. The, the next insight, I guess, or the lesson that we learned was then begin the assimilation. You know, how are you going to embed this formally into your corporation's governance and your corporate strategy? How do you actually create the official mechanisms or processes so this doesn't end up being some, you know, cool thing that the comms head developed, you know, it needs to become part of the corporation and needs to have leadership support. But then once you have that, you've got to think about how you're going to activate it. So that would be my fourth insight, which is really around activation. A powerful social purpose statement or a narrative is just, something that's on your website or your poster, unless you've got a really strong activation strategy. And for us, our activation, the core engine of activating our social purpose is Sato, the social enterprise. You know, the work that it does, the goals that it achieves is a really core part of how we demonstrate our ability to activate our social purpose. And, you know, in our business, um, One of the really cool things that came out of it was our partnership with um, the Elixir Water Technology Japan business. I mean, this is a huge business. It's our largest business in the world. Um, we're like number two makers of bathrooms, bath systems, and toilets. And we did a cause-related marketing campaign with them, um, leveraging social purpose and Sato. And the conversation with our distributors and customers completely changed. They were like, we had no idea you guys were even in this kind of work. Like, can I make a donation, a personal donation to to this effort? And we said, well, no, because we're a for-profit company, you know. Um, we had <laughs> right, um, right. distributors and business customers saying, can I have that exhibition that Sato product display over in my showroom instead of your showroom? Cause my showroom has end users walking off the street and we really want to promote this. Uh Yeah. Salesforce came back and said, Oh my God, I am so grateful to you guys because this has completely changed the conversation I am having with my customers. And let me tell you, there's only so much I can talk about the multifunctionality of our product, which is like, you know, great but a smidgen better than the other guys like this is a very differentiating way for me to talk about our company and the products we make and what's behind the intention behind the products we make and it's been really powerful not only that but you know the business actually um, experienced a double digit sales growth from this campaign which i think was the biggest surprise of of them all and this is japan we don't grow double digit very often okay so um the ceo was somewhat surprised (laughs) and you know needless to say he's now come back to us every year to say we got to do that again we got to make this an annual thing and so we Ah, said okay okay (laughs) so so it's been it's been really fantastic you know it's just it's just generated all kinds of benefits that we didn't really anticipate and it's it's been a great differentiator of a company no one's heard of and so when when we go places and introduce ourselves, they say, "Hey, your guys are the guys that make those toilets, right?" Toilets, <laughs>
0: right? That's that's wonderful. You're, and of course, I you got to write the book. You should be taking these stories down and these milestones, and even a booklet, which would be which would be great. So, um, Jin, you have been amazing. Um, in closing, uh, first of all, I'm sure all our listeners would say, Jin, you got to come to our company for a week make me brilliant. I want to take all your great great thinking. I want your structure, I want your hundred people plus, but I just love to end this which is what is your personal purpose.
1: First of all, Carol, thank you so much for offering me this opportunity. You know, a lot of people are interested in it, but we don't really have a lot of um we don't take the time out to really talk about it in this way. So, thank you so much to Purpose 360 for giving us this opportunity. You know, my own personal purpose is not that different from my professional purpose. You know, I, I see myself, um, really here to help organizations understand the exponential power of social purpose. I think organizations who can really define and articulate their social purpose and then build unique, scalable programs to activate this raison d'etre, it will serve them well for years to come. It, It will not be related to profits going up and down at any given year or leaders changing from one to the other. It needs to become really a core part of what you do as an organization. And for me, that is my purpose is really, I love doing this work and I have done this type of work in my previous companies. And it's just great to come to Lixel and get to build something completely from scratch like this because they just, they needed something. It was a business imperative. I feel very lucky to have had a chance to
0: do it. And I think that the world is very fortunate that you have done it. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. So, yeah, oh, it, it's um, it's amazing. I've been doing this work for 30 years and I think you have this innate, innate understanding of, you know, when you talk about best practice, when you talk about the three A's, when you talk about the teams you put together, the types of communications on top of understanding this is a business um you're you know you've taken my best practice for 30 years and you've put it all into this amazing conversation and amazing work so um where can people who are listening if uh they want to get more information um where should they go
1: well they should definitely come to www.licksol.com uh i would also love to invite everyone to join the new Lixel UNICEF global shared value partnership that we've just launched. It's called, very cheekily, Make a Splash! (laughs) Toilets for All. (laughs) And um, we're actually um, trying to raise money to accelerate our ability to go to more geography. So we've actually created a platform where if people want to make a donation, institutions or individuals, we would really appreciate that. It would speed up our ability to go to more countries earlier than what we've currently got scheduled. So, you know, please contact me directly or, you know, visit us on lixel.com
0: We trust our listeners learned a lot. Um, please uh, take these incredible insights so that you, too, can make a splash. And uh, this is Carol Cohn um, having the joy and the delight of interviewing Jin Montesano from Lixel. And um, please go forth and work on your social purpose. I want to, um, again, thank Jin for a marvelous conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carol.